Hello and welcome back to Something Rotten. This is our last episode of Season 4. We've talked about the darkness. We've talked about the darkness too. And now we are going to hear from you, pointing my finger at the camera. This is our... <laughs> you, shake that soldier boy. That's right. We're going to hear from soldier boy. I said shake that soldier boy. Sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting. I said shake that soldier boy. It's crank that soldier yeah, of boy, course. and I apologize. When I, when I was going Sorry. to Sorry. 40 bar mitzvah parties in one year, in the year 2007 and 8, and every single party played crank that soldier boy, I got pretty good at that dance, Blake. Hey. Here's a question. Here's a question. As I don't know, I'd like to say uh, the the foremost voice in games mm-hmm. criticism right now is the Soldier Boy review of Braid, the single greatest piece of video game criticism and one of the most important pieces of media criticism of our generation. I I think so. I think that really, you know, you can you can look at great games criticism as pre and post soldier boy reviews braid you know he really changed everything that's right what year was that uh i mean 2007 i, I don't know when did braid. when did braid come out it was one of those very first braid on steam here we go 2009 so so here's well, the interesting uh, thing yeah 2008 um was when it was released on xbox i think uh well here's the interesting thing historically is that means braid or uh Soldier Boy reviewing Braid and Kill Screen would have launched within about a year of each other. So it truly was a new era for game criticism. I do also think we can thank Soldier Boy for uh, fracturing Jonathan Blow's brain in a way that has uh, led him down the path that he's on now. Where if he hadn't done that, we might still think of Jonathan Blow as like a normal man. And now we know. Not true. Uh, speaking of not normal, do you hear that? Reagan going nutty for 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 the uh, I'm look I'm looking at a video of Blake's residence right now every so often just this little creature wanders <laughs> into the back of the camera and just just looks around it is truly it looks like you're living with just this like mythical beast <laughs> it's a wendigo back there um someone rang my doorbell I'm just not gonna answer it it doesn't matter whoever I don't know who it is why they're bothering me but it set Reagan off anyway what's up Jacob what are we doing can I tell you a secret yeah go ahead I saw John Wick 4 yesterday oh yeah it's cool is it is John Wick a rotten series no 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 it's no definitely not it's uh no I don't I don't have a better explanation it's just not okay I feel like I feel like he shoots enough men point blank in the head to give it at least a little bit of rottenness. Here's the thing I want to say about John Wick Four. Um, I said John Wick Three, didn't I? No, I, you said I saw four. John Wick Four. Okay. Um, it, look, when they're killing, yes, sir. That's all I'm gonna say. I don't want to spoil anything because I know you're seeing it today. That's a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. There's an hour and a half cut of that movie where they uh, cut out most of the story, and let me tell you, a better film. Good. That's Lord. kind of always the story of John Wick. Yeah. I mean, people people love that no oh, Baba Yaga shit. Uh, not for me. Yeah, uh, but hey, Rina Sabayama, give her an Oscar for one. Oh, you know, I actually saw someone else say that on Twitter this morning. Excited to yes. see it. That she goes so hard in this movie. Can't I, uh, I'm seeing it with both uh, AJ Moser and my father, who heard that we were watching oh. John Wick and uh, said, can I come? Uh, and I always think, I actually, I included this in a line in the video that I made on Headshots like years ago. But watching John Wick 1 with my dad, my dad was like, he's using his pistol like a staple gun. You know, that he, like, he never pulls the trigger more than, like, three inches away from his target. <laughs> and that that image has always stuck with me. People are really into, in the Resident Evil 4 remake, that Leon will hold his gun John Wick style when enemies are really close to him. Look, I, I'm really into that, too. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, John Wick 4 is pretty cool. Gave it a three on Letterboxd, which I feel like is a good score for a John Wick film like they go hard but they are unbelievably stupid you know what I'm saying that's look that's the beauty of them um well Blake let's jump into questions we've had lots of questions okay. written to us uh at something rotten podcast at gmail.com also some from 
Twitter, also maybe some from my Discord. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but this first one is from Catherine Bellingham. And they write, Mediums like film utilize techniques such as changing the pace of editing, adjusting aspect ratios, or intentional compositional choices to try and convey the experience of a character in any given situation. With most mediums of art, we're almost always a spectator. However, video games routinely frame the audience as the character, giving us the ability to directly or indirectly control their actions and choices. Simultaneously, I personally find video games frequently utilize very uninspired methods to try and convey these experiences to the audience. Things like a simple visual filter to convey, quote, insanity, or anxiety in the protagonist of a horror game, or scrambled controls for a character that's under the influence of alcohol. Either that, or completely dodging their direct impact by representing it as a simple numerical debuff. Mechanics that have the potential to frustrate the audience or even generate misconceptions surrounding issues like mental health or substance abuse. How would you try to convey the difficulties or effects that something like addiction with the unique elements of something like addiction with the unique elements that video games as a medium possess? Or has there been a video game that has represented these struggles in an effective way? Yes. The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, lost in the conversation about The Last of Us Part 2 is that... Whether intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know. I've never talked to Neil Druckmann. Uh, it works as a remarkable allegory or metaphor, whichever one you want to say, uh, for addiction. I've written about this in the past for, uh, oh God, who was it? Unwinnable, I think. Um, and while it doesn't do anything necessarily unique with its mechanics, the nature of the story that Ellie is constantly perpetuating the cycle of violence and then as the player, just by the fact you have to go through level after level of said violence, is this, like, repetitive action that, like, mirrors real-world addiction. Um, in a way that I think that game uh, makes that game very good narratively and mechanically. Um, I guess not so much the Abby section, but, like, the Ellie section, for sure. Well, that's, that's a really, that's an interesting point, because what do you think being a game adds to that? Uh, kind of metaphor because you know it's like ellie is not literally taking drugs or drinking right. or whatever right and so it is you know it is working in the realm of of you know metaphor um and since it's mostly the story you know what is what does having your hands on the controller do for you oh sure i think it's like the fact that you are constantly doing this destructive behavior mm -hmm. over and over despite probably like unless you're uh, a sociopath or someone who makes uh, Last of Us kill compilations on YouTube, uh, not wanting to at some point, you know, like the game is very much feeding, like directing you towards, hey, you you maybe should feel bad about this or not want to kill the specific person or like the Nora scene, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is undercut by how fun the game is. But well, I mean, wouldn't that wouldn't that add to the metaphor? Oh, sure, I guess so. In some ways, like the game being fun. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I yeah. you know, I I respect your take on this. It is not one that I, I don't know. I feel like if that's the argument, then there are lots yeah. of games where you do bad things and you want to stop and keep doing them. Uh, and I'm I'm not quite sure what, what The Last of Us 2, what makes it uniquely evocative of this theme. Sure. Well, here's what I'll tell you, Jacob. Go to unwinnable.com, read The Last of Us Part <laughs> 2 over and over again, written by Blake Hester, and you'll get a, a like, 2,000-word story about mm -hmm. it. Uh, uh, but, like, more to the question, like, what mechanics do we think could, like, what was it, like, what what do we think could convey addiction really well? Yeah, well, actually, I want to I wanna go back and talk about kind of the middle of this question, which I think is really interesting, and I also think we both agree with, which is, like, yeah. there, there are lots of storytelling methods that different mediums use to, like, put you in... Uh, in the role of a character or just set you in a place or do whatever. And video games are pretty lazy about that. Um, and and I I think that's a great point. And I feel like it's almost, you know, when, when we talk about, like, being in a character, the, uh, the quote-unquote immersion within a character in a game is so obvious because you were, like, controlling where they walk and look that I feel like a lot of games are like, all right, we did it. You know, it's like we don't have to do any more work because you're controlling them. That's that's all we need to do to, like, put you in the character. Um, and that leads to, you know, kind of boring 
boring things like oh the the controls are crazy because you're drunk or whatever yeah you know that scene in red dead 2 where you get drunk with lenny and it's real fun sure do but you're constantly flashing between like i guess small vignettes but like there's no like you're not seeing the in-between motions it's almost like a a french new wave film you know they trust you to figure out that they Uh got there in some ways but like you're flashing between all these disparate moments and you're not sure how you exactly got there um, I think if you've removed the quirkiness and fun of that and kind of made a game that flashes between different scenes in that way, like, how did I get here? What is happening? That could be a really interesting um, way to represent addiction because, at least for me, as an alcoholic, there were definitely times I could have nights like that where I would just get too drunk and they were not necessarily uh, fun as Arthur and Lenny had. Um, I think that would be very hard to build as a game, you know, Red Dead. Will you ever play the uh, the indie game 30 Flights of Loving? Oh, it's like, it's a classic. It's it, it probably came out in like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um, is, is a game that uh, is highly edited in a way that games are not, mm. where like you will jump from scene to scene. You, you will like smash cut into a new scene with no explanation of how you got there and there's like there's one i think in which they are drinking and then it changes but it is more a like it's one of the most like oh my god what's going on how did i get here and it's like it's like a heist story and so it's very cool um but yeah it's it's hard to do that i think something like that would be cool yeah or like um what is that game the one you like where you blink oh before before your eyes. eyes yeah Something like that would maybe be interesting. Maybe not every blink, but like if you had some mechanic tied where it's like once you do this thing, you're going to flash to a different place and you're not going to be sure how you got there. And it's probably going to be embarrassing and your character will pee their pants in public, which uh, I have done. Um, the 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 kind of numerical uh, debuff side of things, I think, can actually be pretty effective. Um, you know, always always go back to Disco Elysium. Um, one of the, honestly, one of the problems I think with Disco Elysium is it's too easy to be sober, um, because your character is supposed to be an alcoholic, but there is, and I haven't played this, but there's a higher difficulty level in which, um, the skill checks are harder and drugs and alcohol give you more of a boost, uh, and, you know, but within the game, they also give you like significant debuffs, uh, at the same time and so like i do think you know that that difficulty is trying to kind of force you into you are a guy who has to drink to get through the day or whatever but also it's gonna fuck you up i haven't played that difficulty so i have a hard time saying how effective it is um i mean we spent a lot of the max Payne series talking about how it does and doesn't handle addiction well um i think gameplay wise probably not very well right no. like most of the interesting things happen in cutscenes in that game but those cutscenes are good like they have kind of a flat jumping around quality to that red dead scene that i like also max just does weird shit while he's drunk like shaving his head or staring at his hands and it's like yep that fucking happens right I, but i have shaved my head while re while like relapsing before that totally i did that which what that was his act get getting sober but you know whatever um yeah that speaks to like hey you know rockstar is good at liking movies and doing things that yeah. movies do yeah. that, damn my life like a movie for real uh you want to read the next question imagine if for the darkness three they got tom waits to play god Imagine a messed up voice off between Mike Patton and Tom Waits. Imagine them recording a duet for the end credits. <laughs> As Jacob would phrase it, I think about this a lot. All the best with love from Sweden. Jacob. Oh, there we go. Uh, do you listen to Tom Waits? No, I don't. Oh, man. He's so good. I listened to the piano. Well, I read this question yesterday and I listened to the piano's been drinking. And I was like, he's just the best. He's just the best. I mean, I do... I do think a a thing that we would both agree on uh, due to our love of the Bayonetta franchise is that like fucked up heaven is so good as an aesthetic. Yeah. Like I, you know, going to hell, that's fine. You can put demons there. You can do whatever. But like messed up angels doing messed up biblical angels is just so mm-hmm. I like I will never get tired of that shit. And and so if that was 
what the Darkness 3 was going for, where you're going and killing, you know, archangels and stuff. Uh, yeah. Sounds good to me. Um, all right, we got we got a little history here that we talked about a little bit, but I think this is, uh, this is fascinating. Um, just finished your Darkness 1 retrospective and enjoyed it. Um, uh, basically, this person is saying uh, the team behind Riddick and the Darkness is basically the same team as Machine Games. There's an old investigative article on the collapse of Starbreeze's internal dev team back in 2010, where the original team felt they couldn't make these specific first-person story-driven games there anymore, so they formed a new studio, Machine Games. And, and then a fun fact, the upcoming Indiana Jones game from Machine Games has Jens Anderson on board as lead designer, who is lead on Riddick and the Darkness. So basically, the old Starbreeze team is back together. Um, also, really quick, that story, if you want to read it, is called The Secret History of the Riddick Team. It's published by 1UP. Um, you can access it on the Wayback Machine. It was written, Jacob, by my close personal friend, and I mean that literally, Matt Liam. That's look. There are only four people who work in the games industry, <laughs> so <laughs> and only one of them that Blake is friends with, which is Matt. So shouts out to his story and go check it out. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, we, I've I've been thinking about those Wolfenstein games a lot recently. I really, I, I have too. I watched I watched your video about them the other day. I'd never seen it. It's like they, the thing is, they are too full of heart and uh, meaningfulness to be rotten games but at the same time like the way they depict nazis the way they i mean the the yeah. first the first game has a level in a death camp and it's like done yeah. well which is just the most impossible feeling thing you know it's like i never never would i want the challenge of being like make a first person shooter level set in a concentration camp and make it like sensitive and they somehow managed to pull it off while also uh having a mech crush a nazi's head in that same level <laughs> you know what it's time for jacob what well let's see new order will be 10 next year someone someone needs to write an oral history of that game because the fact they got that thing going at all is crazy to me yeah well and they still they claim to be making a third one you know, like they, I, I know they made they made a uh, young blood, but even then, the messaging was like that game is in that is chronologically set in the future of the franchise, and they kind of said we're right. going to make a Wolfenstein three that's an immediate follow up to two. Yeah, uh, but they're making this Indiana Jones game, and we haven't even seen a trailer for that, so I've got to imagine Wolfenstein yeah. three, if it ever happens, it's going to be many years from right. now. Um, okay, so this is two. Well, one's a question and the other is a comment, but I have combined them together. The first comes from email. The other was a DM sent to me. Mm -hmm. uh, this comes from Joshua. Hey, just started listening to Something Rotten from Manhunt 1. I was excited when he started doing The Darkness because there was a small NPC scene that I saw recently that stuck in my mind. Then when you mentioned one of the late game NPCs trying to use queer as a slur towards Jackie, it got me wondering if you found uh, if you found LGBTQ plus representation common in rotten games, either positive or negative, or is it just kind of sidestep most of the time? And then uh, Dante wrote in about a similar thing and said, I don't know if this is the right place to let you know, but in the darkness, there's a joke about trans people. It's kind of pro-trans. Considering it was 2007, I laughed and took it well. It's like a guy showing indifference that a girl he's taking for a date is trans. Yeah, so this is, I mean, they, they sent in the same clip, uh, these, yeah, these yeah, yeah, two yeah, people, yeah. which is in, in like, the, the basement of, I don't know, Johnny Six Fingers or, who, uh, like, whoever you're going to kill in the darkness. There's just a, pizza. There's a conversation between two guys where one of them's, like, Hey, can you patrol tonight? And the other guy's like, "No, I got a, I got a date with that stripper." And he says, "The stripper with the huge tits." Sorry. Um, and then they they talk for a while, and then walking away, one of one of the guys says, "I, I want to get the phrasing right." I believe he says, "Like, you know that stripper's a guy, right, or something." Right. And the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the other guy says, "So, um, yeah," which is. You know, it is. There are certainly many worse uh, jokes jokes about trans people. I don't think it's particularly uh, sensitive. It feels very much like just a the kind of joke that movies made about like, haha, sometimes strippers 
uh, you know, they're, they're traps. They're not the gender you expect them to be, you know, they don't have the organs, you, whatever. Like, all that kind of dumb Ace Ventura bullshit. Um, this one... On the other hand... Yeah? In 2007, this was the most progressive thing in video game history. <laughs> That's, that is maybe true. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, I give the darkness, uh, credit for not the guy not being like ugh barf but i still I, I still think that the joke is essentially like haha look at this dumb guy he's about to go right. out with a you know a, a, a trans woman or something you know i i don't i don't think they thought critically about it at all it's just the kind of joke that uh is in yeah. mafia stories anyway the larger question of uh lbgtq representation in these games um i mean keeping in mind we're two straight guys talking about this i haven't at least in the games we've played noticed much and if i've noticed any it probably hasn't been good oh i would say it's been almost universally terrible i can't i can't think of a single positive representation i mean uh you know in yeah in the darkness they yell things uh they yell kind of queer as a slur at him i'm trying to remember i it feels like there must have been something in manhunt but maybe oh yeah but like there's no way that was good Oh, no, no, I was just trying to remember something <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the kind of, the casual, like, I am sure that in many games we've played, uh, you know, people have been referred to as like, hey, this cocksucker's doing this or whatever, which is yeah. like, you know, a very yeah. casual form of homophobia. Um, I think both, you know, the era that most of these games come from, which is 2011 and before, generally, um games have been uh you know there were some there were some games that were good about these but most games have been real stupid about this for a long time and the fact that um that these games are usually trying to portray a world that is just uh cruel and shitty to everyone um usually when that happens we've talked about women generally getting fucked over by these stories other oppressed groups do as well you know it's like like when when they're like the whole world's bad um usually anyone who has it bad in our world is going to get it extra bad in these next question uh in the final manhunt episode you talk for a bit about rotten games about vietnam there's one that mentioned uh that that you didn't mention that popped up in my mind it was called Viet Cong. Uh, and I think it managed to be way darker and rotten than any American game on the topic, only due to the fact that it was developed in the Czech Republic. Not sure how playable or viable this game is nowadays, but I remember playing it as a kid. It came out in 2003, 2004, uh, and I remember some fucked up stuff, um, including some horrifying sections inside literal underground Viet Cong tunnels. Interesting. Huh? You know anything about this yeah, game? I've never heard of this. No, it was, uh, it was published by 2K Czech though which uh um was kind of i believe succeeded by hangar 13 which did mafia 3 which we have talked about a few times on this podcast but that's a side tangent uh no i've never heard of this no 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 it was developed by 2k check and published by gathering of develop developers god games as they're called anyway no i've never heard of this i do have to look i haven't played this um it does sound like a game in which you are um, fighting uh, as the Americans, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm just saying, I I would be very impressed if they uh, did it sensitively. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, there there are lots of there are lots of media that uh, portray the Vietnam War as a horrifying thing for Americans to uh, have to fight in that yep. are still uh really really shitty about their depiction of that war and about yep. you know Vietnamese people and everything else uh so it sounds it sounds interesting though and it is also like you know being made in the Czech Republic is maybe even american developers were like uh we don't want to touch that um and and then uh, internationally people were like hey america fought a war let's uh make a game about that jacob this question's for you because oh, yeah. i would say i have little to no relationship with what it's asking mm-hmm. um 
I was wondering if you guys have any particular thoughts on the Rotten Flash games that built Newgrounds and the larger Flash scene. I've always found it kind of wild that a generation of mostly teenage boys spearheaded an independent game movement that was, at least at first, absolutely flooded with school and office shooting games and various celebrity and (laughs) politician torture simulators. The Newgrounds gun-wielding elementary school mascot Pico was created as a direct response to the Columbine shooting, which is something that I don't think would fly at all today, and rightfully so. I played a lot of these games well before I was allowed to go near Call of Duty or Resident Evil 4, and I suspect y'all might be in the same boat that comes from Wyatt. Oh, I I got thoughts on this. Uh, Yes, because I, I was the same. I played a ton of Flash games as a kid and, and just kind of online browser games. Um, It was always, you know, my parents did their best to uh, allow me age-appropriate media, but it's like, ain't no age gates on newgrounds.com or right. not any that you couldn't bypass by just clicking, yes, I am 18. Um, and so, yeah, the most horrifying things uh, in these games, I mean, I remember, the one that I always remember is like George Bush white house shooter which was essentially kind of looked like time crisis and there were like people you know essentially like like osama bin laden or whatever like popping his head into the office and then you'd shoot him or other kind of like just generically arabic coded uh characters yeah Yeah, Newgrounds especially was um uh i think a lot do you have any i mean you said you said you didn't know much about this do you ever see like the madness series which was those things with like the little they weren't stick figures but they were little kind of cartoons they had x's on their face and the first no. one oh man this this is a bonus minisode to watch all these cuz the first the first episode of madness which is this little online flash animation is just this dude like dancing by a tree yeah and then someone comes in and just starts beating him up, and it just kind of escalates into, like, you know, shooting lots of people, and eventually he, like, fights Jesus, and he kills Jesus, uh, and it's very funny. It does vaguely look familiar. I mean, they were they were truly everywhere, and then they made, like, I yeah. don't know, ten more madnesses, and by the end, the, the production value and the internal lore was so heightened where there was like this evil clown that kept coming back and they were unbelievably you know they were basically people people showing off their animated choreography skills in the same way that like stick stick man fights were a big thing early online um and and yeah they were uh they were incredibly gory they were usually um low budget enough that it still felt like it was it was at the level of like happy tree friends, you know, maybe like just it it was cartoony. So I, I never found it too actually disturbing, but it it was I mean, it's like thinking back on Newgrounds, I'm like, oh, man, that, you know, the vibes there were just like proto Gamergate essentially in in how how those games generally uh, talked about women and, and what what kind of what kind of things were on there um i and how do you feel spending some of your formative years ingesting oh well i think it worked out very well for me and i have no you know mental issues or hang-ups whatsoever (laughs) about it um it's it is so i feel like it's so influential but for such a small slice because of that particular brand of online games I feel like it was like I was squarely in the target area in and like four years to either direction, you would have totally missed it. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I the, I actually didn't know. I mean, I remember I remember the Newgrounds mascot. I did not know that it was a Columbine reference, but it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Is the Newgrounds indie game stuff the closest the game industry or game space has to a punk movement? And that uh, a lot of creativity going on there and a lot of uh, politically bad things. Probably. Um, I mean, you know, now <laughs> now I would say um, not. You know, now now the the more, you know, like Ichio stuff is probably more punk. But yeah, definitely, you know, things. And, and there were real games that came out of that. I mean, like Alien Hominid, I think, is the most direct oh, one. Yeah, yeah. But things like Castle Crashers 
was like yeah. that that looks like a new grounds game just with well, a budget and and i think was made by people who did it. frog fractions was a flash game originally well that's still a flash well game. yeah but you can like buy it on steam and everything yeah. now like and i don't think that's a flash yeah game. but that i mean when did frog fractions come out 2012 yeah that was well after you know i think that the heyday for this stuff was probably like 2006 um you know uh, Going on mini clip, addicting games, new grounds. Oh, I, I, so like I definitely played flash games because I would go to addicting games. Mm-hmm. Like I remember that website specifically, but like none of the games really stand out to me aside from Jacob. Write this shit down, Line Rider, baby, and a game <laughs> I still play. Line Rider, something Love Line Rider. Yeah, well, here's this is honestly this is really. I think an, a thing that I've never really thought about before, but what made Newgrounds interesting and distinct from something like uh, Addicting Games or Miniclip is that Newgrounds really did have a connection to the creator of something. That yeah. it, it put more precedence on like, hey, you like this thing? Here's the guy who made it. Where Addicting Games and, and these other ones were essentially just aggregators where like I had never saw any you know kind of like here's who made it or you know how i could follow other things i would just occasionally be like oh they made a heli attack three great because i really yeah. liked heli attack two whereas newgrounds was was kind of focused on people in an interesting way so again that is that is a thing that makes it stand out from those other more generic sites newgrounds still around is it 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 looks porny i mean that was also true no, I guess not. Well, some, uh, you know, so uh, a little. <laughs> yeah, look, that's always that's always been a a thing. Honestly, it is impressive that it is a site that allows some level of porn, and it's not the only thing on it. Because I feel like usually, yeah. <laughs> usually, if yeah, you yeah. you know, uh, and and I don't. I don't think that uh, that sex things should be uh, barred from everywhere, but usually if you're like, hey, you could put a little porn on this site, then within like 30 minutes, the entire site is just porn. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Newgrounds still kicking, still looks very populated. I would love to know what the average age now is. Are they people who are on Newgrounds in like 2006, or is there a whole new yeah. like generation of Gen Zers who are who are discovering Newgrounds? There's forums and everything on here. Wow, the more you know. Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, this stuff completely kind of missed me. I don't know. Why. I mean, I think. Maybe because you had access to real video games. Like your dad was a gamer, right? Yeah, I I didn't have true. I like this was the only way that I played video games for a long time because I did not have a console. Also, like I don't know, I felt we didn't have the internet in our house until like middle until I was in middle school. Mm, that would do it. And I like by the time we had the internet, like I had MySpace and was really into like YouTube. Mm -hmm. So like I. And E-Bombs World, of course. Like, I didn't spend, and to your point, like, I didn't spend much time playing games on the computer outside of, like, at school. So, I don't know. Yeah, it is, I mean, truly just, like, it. it it's so, you needed such a specific combination of, like, you had the internet, you didn't have a PlayStation, you had yeah. uh, time on this. I mean, I also, my other big source of gaming was checking out CDs from the library. Oh, uh, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. I would get, like, Lego Island 2 uh, from the library, play that, burn the disc, so then I could keep yeah. it. That was where I learned where DRM was, because I couldn't play Lego Star Wars, even though I burned a disc of it. I was like, <laughs> why doesn't this work? Um, all right. During the Manhunt season finale, you discussed the advertisement campaign for Hitman Blood Money and its sordid tones, and I couldn't help but remember an amazing print ad for Assassin's Creed 2 that I thought was relevant to your discussions on the show. In this, a pop-out bust of a Venetian-era Italian man is glued to both pages of the magazine, one to his head and other to his body, so that to completely see the ad and to open the pages, you had to essentially rip the man's head from his body. Under the spread, above the decapitated body, written in dark red over a crisp white background, was the sentence, The first kill is always the hardest. I don't think a piece of media has ever made me feel such a feeling of responsibility and participation in the act of its violence. And I'm curious if you guys think it's possible to truly make a user or watcher of media feel like a part of an act 
like that, or if you think the barrier of experiences like that through the lens of media makes it impossible. The closest ex example I can think of is the movie Funny Games, which really tries to make you feel bad for watching. That is from Kyle. Uh, my favorite Cheryl Crow song, The First Kill is Always the Hardest. Uh, the first kill is the hardest. Baby, I know. Uh, you ever seen Funny Games? No. God. Come on, that's that's a that's like that's such a Jacob movie. It is like it is it is both rotten and also just like this intense look at like media and media consumption and media literacy. Like media, oh Jacob, like what? Either watch the original uh, Dutch version or the American remake, which is made by the same director and it's literally shot for shot just with a different cast and huh. a different language does it work um i've never seen it but i've heard it's really great okay because um, those shot for shot things are always so weird well but it's yeah but it's like the same director so i feel like he's oh, you know, okay. bringing some and i do think maybe anyway jacob please watch funny games it's it's like Michael Haneke, one of just the greatest modern directors, made a movie for Jacob Geller <laughs> just when you were probably seven years old. Uh, God, that's such a good movie. Jesus Christ. Um, but Kyle is very uh, smart in bringing this up. And do you, do you agree with Kyle's assessment that it uh, the movie yeah. makes you feel like guilty for watching it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's it, And it does it in some very interesting meta ways, which I think are very smart that I don't want to spoil because people... I want people to watch it very badly. There's some like very good shocking moments where it flips the script on both the narrative of the film, but the viewer and their perceptions of how a story like Funny Game should work. And it's like, I won't say more, but yes, I agree with them. Cool. All right. Well, I'm sold. Um, I This ad for Assassin's Creed 2 uh, sounds, sounds wild. wild. <laughs> um, I, mostly because... Assassin's Creed 2 is not a game where you, like, decapitate people, you know? It's like, it's not. It, mo most of the kills in that are you just kind of, like, stick your knife in someone and they fall down. So it's, it is really kind of, it's weird to think about the fact that they were selling this game on, like, look how fucking goring this thing is. Oh, um. Did he find it? I think so. Oh, I see. That's something. That's a something that's really interesting. Um, game advertisements used to be wild. I I think I think it's interesting what Kyle said that I don't think a piece of media yeah. has ever made me feel such a feeling of responsibility and participation as this magazine ad. <laughs> yeah, it's very very interesting. Um, I I don't know if I've ever felt responsibility in the act of violence in media. I mean, like more broadly. There's only, like, a couple things that have made me feel bad about willfully engaging with media, which is something, like, video games love to do. I would say no video game has ever really done that to me, but a few movies have. Yeah. Um, notably, Ichi the Killer, mm -hmm. I think, does this very well in that 90% um, of its kills are very funny and slapstick. And then uh, the other 10% are crucially not. And the idea is like, hey, why are you laughing at the other ones? Which I think uh, it does well. It sounds dumb when you explain it like that. But I think the movie does it extremely well. Um, but yeah, no, I've never like felt bad in the participation. Yeah, um, you know, it's like that's obviously that's something that like Spec Ops The Line really tries to push. That's that's like a big part yeah. of it is like feel bad about this. Um, I... I'll say second time I'm bringing up Disco Elysium in, you know, five minutes, which is just uh, how I live my life. Um, there is there is only one uh, essentially like combat scene in Disco Elysium um, and mm. it can go really poorly. Uh, and and in my playthrough, it did go really poorly. And I did not yeah. feel I didn't feel bad to be like oh my gosh the violence i inflicted on others but it was like people died that didn't need to die in that scene and because that game makes every character such a like character i did genuinely feel terror I, I like i almost didn't want to play because i felt like i had like fucked up my playthrough 
because I had like let these people die, which I think is, you know, an intended thing. So I, you know, I've definitely, and that also, I think importantly, um, it does feel like you could have had a better outcome. So like almost a similar thing has been like an XCOM, you know, when you have like, oh, your favorite soldier that you named after your best friend, and then you leave them out of cover and they get shot, you know, like the feeling of responsibility for that because it was actually something that you did and not something that the game essentially like scripted and then was like, look at what you did, which is what Spec Ops The Line does. Original Call of Duty games, I feel like do this where if you're playing worse as a player, you're like, uh, friendly NPCs will die more. Yeah, and, like, but they're not like they're not like main characters, so it's like you know it doesn't really matter, and you don't really feel bad. But you'll notice like, oh, Private Dan just got shot and killed. Oh no, uh-huh. you know. And like if you play better, I think more of them will survive. Yeah, you know it is. I do. I do <laughs> like when games from Jacob a big old yawn. <laughs> I do like when games uh, let you fail. I, I think it's interesting, but I also think it's hard to pull off in a way that feels like you have enough faith in the game to let you fail and not feel like you should just like reload a save point or something. Uh, watch Funny Games and Ichi the Killer. All right. In summation. Uh, Jacob, I'll be seeing you in May. I'm going to bring Funny Games. We're going to Jake, uh, AJ and me are going to sit your ass down and make you watch Li- Live recording of something rotten? Oh, that would be interesting to do like a movie commentary. We used to do that at Game Query and they were really popular uh, within Game Query's metrics. <laughs> Which, uh, anyway, this is a bit of a longer question, but I think there's some interesting stuff here. This comes from Zed. I keep having this conversation with my dad about why I would want to seek out media that makes you feel icky. I argue that while I agree you have to be responsible for yourself and what you consume, when we engage with art like movies or games, we're constantly disavowing. There's always going to be a separation, and for me, it's enough to feel them then compartmentalize these more draining films and games to be able to engage with them as a piece of art made by a human. Uh, there... But there are plenty of people who aren't super interested in analysis or art for art's sake who still engage with this stuff. But now when I'm saying it out loud, it actually sounds less likely. It seems the audience I'm thinking of gets a genuine kick out of shock. You know, your horror horror junkies, I guess, as I like to call them, who seek out stuff like slaughtered vomit dolls and a Serbian film just for laughs with friends. What the fuck? Uh, You know about those two films? I I know about a Serbian film. I don't know about slaughtered vomit dolls we'll circle back to that because i I think it's an interesting thing to bring up uh do you think there's a point to engaging with this sort of art if you aren't artistically minded there are personal reasons my dad doesn't like engaging with the darker side of media um i think it's just a gulf of understanding or experience that rationalism can't cross but it irks me that i can't rationalize why i'm drawn to such morbid stuff uh what is it about this stuff for you guys why do you keep opening these cans of worms in the first place i think an interesting question um it's something i think about a lot as someone who uh you know has engaged with a lot of nasty shit Mm -hmm. uh i think bringing up slaughter vomit dolls in a serbian film is kind of interesting and that a serbian film kind of exists at this point just in a similar space as like cannibal holocaust and kind of human centipede where it's like the mainstream has kind of claimed it where it's like, this is one of those movies. Right. Well, it's like, I've, I've heard of those. And, you know, I was surprised in, in our uh, previous bonus episode uh, when you told me like cannibal Holocaust is like about something uh, because I had kind of lumped all these together as movies that are uh, essentially meaningless and just, uh, you know, just, just cruel for the point. I, I understand why you do that. I think also like, and I, I don't mean this like as a in a no in no offense, please. When I say this, I, I do think that's like a narrow view of like extreme or shocking media mm-hmm. that just like people have because of the nature of the media. So it's not a thing where I blame you or like you should be smarter. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like I get it. I wish it wasn't the case, but like I also understand. Right. Um, Serbian film definitely does have a political message whether or not it's good i don't remember i mean that movie is so garish (laughs) that's like i don't remember if what it's saying about the serbian government was really that interesting or engaging but um slaughter vomit dolls i would say is largely void to the point of this question 
largely void of any message, meaning, or artistic merit. I've never seen it. What it is is just really rough vomit fetish porn made by Lucifer Valentine, who has some pretty serious allegations against him. So it's like, it's interesting to bring those two up. I think I think it's okay to engage with media, whether it's an Adam Sandler film or extreme media, and not think Wait, deeper you th- about you it. You're Adam just... Sandler films are not extreme media? <laughs> Have you seen Jack and Jill, Blake? But you know what I mean? Like, it's okay. I think it's okay to engage with things just for, like, their surface level intended purpose. And if, like, that's, like, gory or shocking films, I think that's okay. And I also think, like, you don't need to try to wrap your brain around them or, like, twist yourself into knots trying to understand why some people don't like them, why some people do like them. Like, I don't know. How do you feel about this? I don't know. I mean, you know, as someone who... uh I will play basically any game. I am pretty squeamish about movies. Like, I'm not... Sure. I, I really... I do not watch many horror movies, let alone kind of uh, shock, whatever. Um, you know, and, and, and part of that is just, like, uh, desensitization to... I mean, you know, honestly, I think that, that a, a... You know, the reason that I don't watch them is because I am able... Or, like, I, I empathize with the movie more than I want to. You know, it's like when I'm watching things, it works on me in a way that, like, horror games largely do not work on me anymore because I've just played so many that I, like, you know, even if I get scared, I am getting scared within the context of video games, which is a medium I understand. And, and, uh, as as AJ said to me, uh, yeah, well, the difference between games and movies is movies are real. Uh, you know, where I still... <laughs> All films are documentaries, believe it or not. Not a lot of people know that. I, I, I think, you know, I think for, for people who don't want to watch those kind of things, part of it is that they, like, they can't... They can't put themselves at a high enough level above it to see yeah. the interesting things that they're doing because they are more just like in with the 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 you know nitty gritty viscera and and like a reason that I'm I'm frustrated with myself often because um I uh I love horror conceptually and I like thinking about mm-hmm. the themes in horror or whatever but like I see a scary movie and then I can't sleep at night you know and and oh, I shit. wish I wish that I could only give myself that like thousand foot view of being like let's talk about like what hereditary is saying or whatever but instead i'm laying in bed and i'm scared and i don't you know i don't like that and so i think there is just that level of like you can't view it artistically because you're too you're too in it you know you're too just yeah. like you know in it i that is different than what they they suggest in this question which i also are totally people who exist who are just kind of like uncritical horror junkies who are like oh you got to see this movie yeah. it's so fucked up um i i certainly um i find it very frustrating when uh and tell tell me if this has ever happened to you you go see a movie that's like you know doing some really interesting things operating on a high level whatever and you like get out and you're like hey what'd you think about that and the person's like oh it was so like random or like that it was so crazy and i'm just like yeah you know come on like let's let's take a step beyond like rant things happened that you didn't totally understand um it does there's also a part of me that's like that's fine you know like look, I, I, I don't their wanna... job is not talking about media so like you know they, right, they don't right, right. they don't have to be but i i do think um with some of these things i don't know i do kind of think that i don't know i'm trying to figure out if i think that like if you were just watching uh shock movies and not thinking about them is like completely unmotivated uh gore torture you know assault whatever like is that fine to just take in uncritically i kind of want to say no but I, I don't know. Well, I think there's a deeper uh, psychological thing happening there that people maybe don't know is happening. And is I, I think for a lot of people, that media, when they're consuming it, not through the lens of like analysis or criticism or whatever, 
it's actually just subconsciously their escape, like, uh, decompression valve. Mm -hmm. And people consume... Jacob has left. I've offended him. (laughs) I think a lot of people turn to that as a way to blow off steam, where it's not a thing where they necessarily like the violence or whatever it may be. It's they want to bring themselves to a certain point of uncomfortableness. And then once they get through it, you know, there's this like dopamine rush, kind of like a, it's kind of like a roller coaster effectively, where it's like, you see something and you're like, oh my God, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. And then it happens. You've watched it and then it's over and you're like, you come down from it. And I think that is actually why a lot of people who don't want to engage with this, like critically or whatever, why they will turn to stuff like that, which I think is a, whether or not they recognize that, I think that's a valid reason to, like, want to engage with shit. Well, yeah, but isn't that, isn't that, like, you know, because it's, like, on a roller coaster, you're not watching a depiction of human suffering, you know? (laughs) You know? It's, like, like, when I, when I go to Bush Gardens and I'm, like, oh, my God, I was so scared, but now I wasn't. I, like... Yeah. Wasn't watching someone get attacked. You know, but okay, I guess here's here's the way I'm looking at it. Why I think it's okay sometimes. Uh-huh. Is I may watch a movie like that twice a year, maybe less. So it's like that is a a small percentage of my media consumption. And sometimes, like Quentin Tarantino said, I'm sorry, this is the second time I've quoted that idiot. It's just fun. <laughs> you know, like it just is fun. Like, I mean, I think if that's your only media consumption, there is a darker thing going on there that maybe you should work out as to why you like require that kind of stimuli. Mm-hmm. But like also some, once or twice a year, Jacob, I don't want to think about anything. I just want to watch fucking blood and guts and i think that's okay yeah yeah i mean i hope i hope that it's clear that i'm not i am not like dismissing people who do this i'm just kind of trying to work out like i like the like the person like zed who asked this question i don't have a super clear answer and i'm trying to (laughs) kind of like work through it jacob like we we sat and unpacked the darkness too for hours and hours and we said such smart things that the audience was amazed by but when you boiled down our conversations we mostly liked when the fucking bodies got ripped open yeah and like sometimes you just like that and i sometimes want to watch a movie where it i squeam 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 squirm i squirm up to the point where the gross thing happens and then it happens and then I come down from it. I'm like, oh, I, I could watch that. I could see it. And now my brain is telling me I'm safe. Yeah. It's fine. And I feel better. Um, Zed, I would tell you to look up the idea of benign masochism, which I wrote about in my uh, shock site piece, which is um, this theory as to why people enjoy uncomfortable sensations and uh, may not be a definitive explanation but at least is an idea as to why people ride roller coasters or eat hot food or look at nasty stuff. Put put Blake Hester on hot ones. Oh, it wouldn't even be a problem. I tried the last dab uh, two weeks ago. Did you really? It's not that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. I, always, I mean, it's hot for sure. I've always thought that the second to last, I think they make the last dab less hot than the second to last I've one. Heard the, I've heard the bomb is excruciating. Uh-huh. And that's coming from that's coming from boys in Kentucky. So, you know, here comes the boys from the South. We can handle our heat. Uh, the last dab was not bad. I I, gar- I bet if I had it after 20 other hot sauces of varying degree of spice, the last dab would not be great. But I have heard the bomb is genuinely excruciating. Um, we we had so we got we got some some tweets about uh, tweets and questions and uh, everything about about like darkness reboots, sequels. Yeah remakes you know it i guess if you if you could wave magic wand to make something happen would you just make the darkness 3 come out with similar gameplay to the darkness 2 or would you do something more i i don't know make, make the series again uh, or remake the first one or you know whatever no uh, it'd just be the darkness 3 the big difference would be machine games would be developing it and it would just be they just copy and paste the quad wielding over and uh give me some enemies and make it look better and then i would have a good time 
No, I don't know. You'd like you definitely go through heaven. Like I want to see how that story was going to play out. Like yeah. it leaves on uh such a bonkers cliffhanger that's like I would want to see that just continue more than a remake or like reimagining. Like it's like what where were you all going with this? Cuz it feels like I I agree. It feels like you all were writing yourself into a corner and the corner was the most gaudy thing imaginable as 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 uh ali morgan uh wrote on twitter would love to see a sequel uh but would also love for the love interest to not be fridged for the third game in a row it's like <laughs> yeah. could they write that game without being like oh jenny's dead or gonna die or something you're like could they make her yeah a character whose defining character trait wasn't she is dead <laughs> i mean well i guess i guess the end of darkness too that's not really jenny right no i mean yeah it would be yeah i feel like if they made the darkness three it'd be like oh there's that evil thing and then you would like i don't know beat a boss fight with it and then jenny would like come out for a second and you'd be like oh my god yeah. jenny you're alive and then the angel would like come back and kick you off a cliff <laughs> you know <laughs> i could i could write it um this is something that we talked about uh privately but i do think we should just acknowledge uh arthur unger yep. informed us that Kane and Lynch 2 was written by Oliver Winding or Winding? Yeah, Winding. Winding. It was written by Oliver Winding, who is the nephew of Nicholas Winding Refn. That's so cool. Uh, also, shame on us for not doing better research. Uh, but that's so cool. Uh, I looked up I looked up Oliver Winding. Also, I said it with such conviction. I don't know. It might be Winding. I don't know why. I just like was like, I know this. Um, winding, Winding. Looked them up. They also wrote uh, Hitman Absolution, which I think would be a cool rotten game. Mm-hmm. They're working on uh, Machine Games Project, or no, no, IO Interactive's Project 007, Ooh. the uh, James Bond game they're making. And I saw that they were connected to Pusher, which was uh, one of the first movies Nicholas Winding Refn directed, and the on-screen debut of Mads Mikkelsen. So there you Ooh. go. I don't think they, I think they worked in like the casting department or some shit. I don't think they like were a big creative force behind it. But here's a question cool about Kane and Lynch too. How much of that game's Best game success is due to the writing, you know, versus like the, <sighs> the direction? Well, Jacob, here's a sub question. What part of that game was successful? <laughs> you know, the part, the part where you look at it and you go, oh my God, I've yeah. never seen a game that looks or sounds yeah. or feels like this. So I feel like that's not writing necessarily. I think the writing was not good. It struck me as like a, uh, oh God, who's that guy? He did like a, that, the Dan, not Danny Boyle, uh, did Snatch. Oh, Guy Ritchie. It reminds me of some Guy Ritchie knockoff shit, but like from what I remember, Hitman Absolution, its story was interesting. Yeah, there were nuns in latex. It was very interesting. Look, do you remember that ad campaign? Come on, you think I don't remember them, ladies? Shouts out, <laughs> shouts out to the queens. Uh, I think it's cool, whether or not he's a particular good writer or not. Beside the point, I just think it's fun and cool, and I love Nepo. Um, speaking of, is that nepotism? Is giving your cousin a job nepotism? Maybe they just both got jobs. You know, who knows? Uh, Clover Darling asks a a question that I like: Are these good mafia games? Are they are they like an interesting take on on organized crime? I don't think so. Are there good mafia games that are not called Mafia One, Two, and Three? Yeah, those like uh, isometrical games that are always advertised on YouTube. Oh yeah, like level one mob, level one hundred boss, Crime City, Vice Town. You know, uh, Grand Theft stealing. Yeah. Uh, no, I I mean, I've only played the Mafia games, which I think all three are rad. I love all three. Yeah, I mean, there are other games that are kind of about, you know, it's like um, Katana Zero has, like, Mafia stuff, but I would not call that a Mafia game. I mean, if we if we open this to broader organized crime, like... Oh, well, yeah, I know where you're going. Well, Sleeping Dogs, first sure. and foremost, uh, which deals with the triad, um, and then Yakuza, yeah, of course. which is like... Uh, which is rooted in a specific type of Yakuza media, which is like old school pre-Fukusaku Yakuza, where it's like 
the Yakuza is bad except for this one guy who's noble and these men work on rules. It's, it's and... so funny. It's like the Yakuza is bad except for this one guy and also eventually every single person that he meets. Yeah. Like actually everyone in those games are good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, here's the thing. Kazuma Kiryu, a, a wonderful soul who I just love and also probably tied to some really heinous crimes against people and humanity yeah it's like you never actually see you know it's like i'm i'm at like the end of ishin now and it's like turns out almost every character in that game actually has like a pretty good heart you know like what? Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing kiryu kiryu might not be a human trafficker but he definitely knows a few uh-huh. Jesus. <laughs> um, so th- I, those are good mafia games. Are are but are these are the darkness good mafia games? No, I don't think so. I feel like it's so beside the point that he's a mafioso. Well, I think two could have been. I I think if you did if you did more, and this actually relates to a question that um that Shogo Mike asked, uh, which was or or just kind of thought, which was like, would love to see Jackie be a little more gamified as a mob boss. Um, or yeah. you could like send out things, which I think is an interesting idea, but also running and shooting is so fun in the darkness too. I think I would be upset if the game made me do anything else. So it's, it, you know, it's hard to say, like, I wish I could send out my, uh, little goons on missions. Here's a question I have for Shogo Mike. Please tweet at me the answer at Metallica is rad. Is your username a reference to Shogo Mobile Armor Division? <laughs> Let me know. I doubt it, but it'd be cool if it was. You ever play Shogo Mobile Armor Division? Nope. First, first M-rated game Billy Custer ever played. Oh, an important game. Actually, this is what I was going to say. Back with the Mafia games, um, I uh, I don't think you listen to the the podcast Doughboys or Get Played that um, uh, I listen no. to. Uh, one of the hosts, Nick Weiger, used to make uh, shitty licensed games, and one of them that he worked on was like the Godfather video game. Oh, which I think yeah, had like a I lot of original like talent game. back, but was still like a bad game. I think. Oh, who's the guy that plays the fucking? Offer you can't refuse. Who is that? Who's that actor? I, I, you'll who's you'll have to do a little more of an impression for that. Oh, you know the fucking guy. I make you an offer you can't refuse. Like Mister Godfather you come to me on this, the on my my daughter's wedding or some shit. Uh huh. Marlon Brando. I think Marlon Brando's last role ever was the Godfather video game. Oh boy, is that I'm I think it was. Um, let's see. Although the game was condemned by Francis Ford Coppola, who claimed Paramount <laughs> never told him about its development or asked for his input, it does feature voice acting from several stars of the film, including James Kahn, Robert Duvall, and Abe Vigoda. Marlon Brando also okay. recorded dialogue for Vito Corleone in what would be his final acting job, but his ill health made most of his recordings unusable. Wow, that is the there worst thing I have read today. Anyway, I didn't know that that guy worked on that. That's pretty interesting. Nick Weiger? Doughboys? Yeah, that's right. Let me, is it is it wrong of me that anytime I imagine Doughboys or Blank Check, I just imagine the McElroy brothers as the hosts, even though I know they're not? Yeah, uh, Doughboys talks about cum, like, way more than the McElroys do. Now, what's the difference, then, between them and Cumtown? Oh, uh, Doughboys eat fast food. <laughs> uh, and you tell me you don't think the, the hosts of Cumtown do? <laughs> Have you seen those guys? The difference is Adam that uh, I think Doughboys is a good podcast that I listen to. Um, anyway, I think that's <laughs> that's basically all our questions that we got today. Um, I think so. Yeah. Any, anything else? The darkness, baby. I mean, we we got some in our email, but we'll save them for next time because I think they're just more general. I do. Um, I I want to say I was doing something the other day where someone asked like what random uh game mechanic I would add to like every video game, and I think that more games should have cooking. And I was thinking about like how would just Jackie Estacado cook? You know, would he would he have like mm. a good pasta recipe from his grandma? Or his aunt. Right. You know what I think they should add to every game? What? Uh, blade mode from Metal Rising. I, I know, mean, Revenge. the darkness almost has blade mode. It's so close. Or the darkness too. I, I think they should add it to literally every game. I'm saying like FIFA, add it. <laughs> That's right. 
Kentucky Route Zero, add it. Every new ground game, go in and add it. Add, and, <laughs> and you could. You could add it to new ground games. Well, and it'd be easy. Until next time, my name's Jacob Geller. I have been with Blake Hester. <laughs> my name is Jacob Geller. I've been Blake Hester. I've been Blake Hester. <laughs> um, machine games, we know you're busy with indie, but uh, why not make the Darkness 3? Just, uh, just make it. Yeah, just make it for us. Why not? Just for me. Send it to me. I won't leak it. <laughs> <laughs>